Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. At Firefly Willows LIVE, we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us. Host a show or be a guest or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable change makers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E helping you find and shine your inner light. Firefly Willows L-I-V-E presents Healing Conversations, featuring your host, Mildred Lynn McDonald. Hello, everybody. This is Mildred Lynn McDonald, and I'm your host for Healing Conversations today, live from Sebastopol. And this morning, we're going to have a very interesting roundtable that basically stopped me in my tracks. But before we go on to that, I'd like to welcome my three co-hosts, John Caracella. Good morning. Deb Caracella. Good morning. And High C. Lettimers. Hello. Now, this is what really hit me. Pain that is not transformed is transmitted. The question I would love to throw out to John and Deb and High C is this. How do we transmit pain to others? And the second part, how do we transform pain within ourselves? So who would like to jump in there? I'll go first. I'll use a very in-the-moment immediate example. A friend of mine has many medical conditions and is in the hospital and in a nursing home and all sorts of things. And the place where she was living The man there also had all sorts of medical issues and things, and he's now gone into the hospital, which means he's not going to be able to come back home, which means she also can't come back home. His family, as well as my friend's friends, are suddenly given the burden of figuring out how to deal with all of the stuff, the financial situations, selling the house and all of that with no information and no preparation that was done ahead of time. And so to me, this is an example of how pain, when people don't want to transform it, which means I don't want to deal with it or I don't want to work with it or I'm just angry about it, it gets transmitted and in this case gets transmitted onto the shoulders of other people because they have not been willing to talk about their pain or face the reality of their pain and therefore make proper preparations or talk to other people about what they would like to have done or needs to be done or put things in place. So it now becomes a painful situation that is transmitted to other people to take on and to deal with, as well as the pain that those people are going through themselves. So to me, that would be an example of how pain, when it's not transformed, which means worked with, sat with, healed, dealt with, made peace with, whatever, gets transmitted, sometimes not just transmitted in ourselves, but also transmitted onto other people. As you were speaking, a question came to me. Do you feel that the parties involved 
are present enough with the situation that they realize that they might be transmitting or transmuting the pain? No. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a big part of the of the challenge because you can't transform a pain that you don't understand or recognize. And this happens a lot, you know, when we have blind spots. Transgenerational, intergenerational pain, intergenerational wounds are typically those kinds of things where you see these patterns that run in families and they get transmitted from grandfather to father to son. And I know this is true. There was anger and frustration in my family that I experienced when I was young. And I transmitted that same kind of anger and frustration through my household onto my children. If you don't understand that you're experiencing something that can be healed, then it's very difficult for you to take the steps to heal it. You know, we often have the, the notion that this is just the way life is and that it's normal. And this doesn't have to be normal, but you wouldn't know because it's a blind spot. Right. So oftentimes I think we transmit pain that we don't understand we have. We don't understand its source and as a result are unable to effectively unwind it, to heal the wound. And I, and I think that is pretty common. If you were aware of the pain that you were in and the pain you were transmitting, would you have reacted differently? Oh, I, I think... Without a doubt, if one gets to the place where they're aware of the pain that they're transmitting onto others and they're the least bit compassionate, you know, you're like, oh, I don't, don't want to be doing that. Yeah, so certainly for me, if I, had, if I had the wherewithal to understand what was going on inside of me, I certainly would not have wanted to visit that pain upon my children. No way. And once you did realize it, was that accompanied with a sense of shock or relief? hell. It was my introduction to hell. Because the hardest thing for me to do is to forgive myself for the pain that I visited upon the people I love. And so it was great to know what was going on, but then I had to look at the consequences of my actions. You know, it's like being lost in the woods. Come out of the woods and you can finally see clearly, only to realize you have a cliff face that you have to climb. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's not exactly relief. I wouldn't say it was relief. I would say it was an opportunity to breathe, take stock, and reformulate my plan. How about mm-hmm. you, Deb? Any thoughts to add to that? Or So I think maybe I'll address physical pain and how it is also difficult. It's extremely draining. And sometimes you're not even aware of how much energy and attention and concentration is being sucked away by the physical pain in the body. And some people are very stoic and very understanding about the pain within themselves. It is a part of their life. There's perhaps not anything that can be done about that particular pain at the moment, either there's not an answer medically or the answers from the medical community, they just haven't solved this particular issue for this particular person. 
but you still have that pain. It is there. It is a part of your being. And you are not you alone anymore. You are now you and your pain. So how you are able to interact and how you're able to deal with others is affected. It's compromised in a way. And some people are still able to understand that and make a space for it within themselves and be able to deal with life and its necessities and the people that they meet. Those are the people that they handled their cancer with amazing grace or some semblance of extraordinary ability. And people speak of them in the most generous of terms. Then there are others. I think it's so hard and so draining that they become difficult. They become irritable. They become not the kind of individuals that you want to spend your time with. And you might not know that that's why they are the way they are. They haven't shared that they're in pain. You find them to be not pleasant. Maybe just the awareness, the inner awareness of how pain is affecting you and what it's doing and your response to it could perhaps help people to realize how they are then interacting with others in their lives, either their family members who perhaps are attempting to help them and, and provide assistance or their friends who are concerned about them or even just strangers that you meet. And I think that what you just said is exactly right, but I think it also points to the quote that Mildred started with of pain that is not transformed is transmitted. And Mm -hmm. it's being able to recognize, even if somebody is in physical pain, the people that say, I don't want to be around that person because it's just too negative, too caustic, too difficult, whatever. It's because that other person has not transformed their experience of the pain into something that is a reality they can talk about versus is something that they feel completely victimized by and now have to transmit that victimization to the world around them. It's just a different relationship with the pain. You know, I'm not going to deny someone the opportunity or the reality of the fact of the pain that they live in, even if they want to sit there and they need to talk about how much pain. When I say, you know, so how are things going today? And they need to talk for 15 minutes about what's been going on for them. But that's one thing compared to somebody who is constantly just angry or spewing or creates that caustic environment because they want everyone else to feel their pain and to feel as miserable as they do rather than to simply accept that their pain is a reality for them and they can talk about it and no one's going to judge them for that. But they don't need to transmit that pain onto others as a way of somehow making themselves seemingly, they think, feel better. I have a little saying that I share with people when they come to me for healing work, and there's two kinds of pain. There's pain where healing is occurring and pain where healing is not occurring. And obviously, you get to choose which kind of pain more often than not. And the process of dealing with pain, like when you're doing yoga or you're doing physical therapy, and you reach the point of pain in an experience, doing that well, doing that right, allows you to come into communication with the parts of your body that that need repair. It's amazing how much 
power we have, how, how plastic our bodies are when we are willing to go to the place of the pain and be with it in a non-judgmental and constructive way. We so often we numb the pain instead of communicating with it and communing with it. And when we numb it, we can't heal it. But when we are present to it, there's at least the possibility that the pain can be healed. And, you know, I mentioned two physical examples, but there's lots of truth to this in the emotional space as well. When I read that statement, pain that is not transformed is transmitted, or as we added on, is transmuted, it enabled me to look at my life in its entirety and identify periods where I was in pain, maybe conscious or subconscious about the pain or the amount of pain. And it let me look at where did I choose to put that pain? Where did I choose to run away from that pain? Where did I choose to numb out that pain? And when I read it, I felt a huge sense of relief because I thought, okay, now I have a structure and I can build something into my filter for the world that will enable me to understand when I'm in pain where I choose to put it. So building on that, wondering if we could each share an example of how we might choose to transform pain within ourselves. Very recently, I was walking the cliffs in Santa Cruz, enjoying the evening, full moon, nice breeze. It was a beautiful evening, but I was cold. And I didn't want to give up on being outside. I've been working on this cold sensitivity thing that seems to be part of me, making great progress. And here's what I realized. I was cold. I was experiencing pretty significant discomfort. But I realized, hey, I'm not going to die, right? This is not going to kill me. So whatever it is I'm experiencing, I'm experiencing discomfort, but I don't need to be afraid of it. And so I allowed myself to experience the discomfort, literally identify where in my body I was feeling some sense of discomfort. And I allowed myself to feel that discomfort. And then I said, okay, well, what can I do to make that part of my body feel better? And it wasn't necessarily that I needed to make myself feel warmer. I just needed to address the actual discomfort that was in my back. And I did some stretching and I did some breathing and just some basic self-maintenance, self-care. And within two or three minutes, I was completely fine. I wasn't any warmer necessarily, but I wasn't in discomfort anymore because I allowed the discomfort to fully register in my consciousness and I started to take care of it. In the process of doing that, I realized something, that we have a tendency to be defensive about our wounds. We don't want anybody to know what wounds we have because we're afraid that they're going to poke them. So we kind of contract around our pain and we sort of try to shield ourselves. And I think that's exactly the wrong thing to do. If you can acknowledge that you have a wound, that you have pain, and do the appropriate things to nurture yourself, then you only defend that wound when you're actually in a place where it's being attacked, as opposed to expecting it to be attacked and contracting around it, which makes it really hard to heal. What was the pain that you chose to transform? And from that transformation, what did you transmit outward or, oh, or inward? Okay, so the, the discomfort that I changed was this discomfort of being cold. 
the result of that was that I was a beacon of joy because I was outside under the moonlight by the surf for all that time. What about you, Deborah? High C. Well, I can give a couple of examples, one on the more emotional level and one on the more physical level. From an emotional level, I think that one way we see the transformation of pain is, let's say someone comes from an abusive background, whether it's as a child or as a spouse or something like that, they may then be able to take that pain and it becomes a motivating and driving force for them to start a foundation to help other abused people, to open a shelter for abused people. So instead of simply living their lives defined as the victim and basically giving giving in to the pain of what was done to them, they are able to transform that pain into something that is not only healing and beneficial for them as a way of working through that pain, but to also then become something that is beneficial for others who may also be experiencing pain that is in some way similar to or related to what it is that they went through. And from a physical standpoint, and I thought of this as John was talking about walking on the cliff, I I had a whole image of where he was going to go with that, which he did not. Um, (laughs) Because for me, it was, you know, walking on the cliff and you suddenly stumble and twist your ankle. Well, now, instead of being able to do that power hike and do that 15 miles that you were going to do and everything else, you're suddenly forced to perhaps go much more slowly. And so the transformation of the pain is the pain causes you to slow down or to stop and to be able to take in what's around you or appreciate the walk, even though you only go half a mile instead of 15 miles, but you suddenly discovered trees or animals or flowers or something on the walk or a view that you would have never taken notice of if you had been on that power hike going at full speed trying to get the 15 mile done with that the only focus rather than paying attention to what's around you for me from some recent emotional distress in my life the pain and the discomfort and the unhappiness that came of the situation that i was in was very real instead of dealing with all of it by myself i allowed myself to become something that I typically do not allow. I allowed myself to become vulnerable. I shared. I shared with friends. I shared with family. And I allowed the sharing to give me courage, to provide support, to really bolster my inner core. Instead of deciding that all of this had to be dealt with by myself and on my own without any outside help. I chose to experience this particular episode of pain with community. It was probably one of the wisest decisions that I could make because it certainly allowed me to surface in a more timely less painful manner than it would have otherwise. What I found about transforming pain within myself is, number one, I have to laugh at myself because I'm a Leo. And as I've been told, there's nothing more comical than a Leo with a thorn 
in their palm. <laughs> <laughs> so my Achilles heel is that I'm sensitive and my feelings can get hurt. So what do I do with that pain? Normally, I withdraw. I withdraw and I go into my little cave and I lick my wounds <laughs> and wail to myself because, of course, I've withdrawn. What I've learned is that because it is true we can transform the pain, I realized that I have the power within me to shift that energetic vibration. And I have the power within me to make a choice to have a healthier coping mechanism. And what now what I choose to do, how I use that power within me, is I choose to take myself to neutral. And I choose to say to myself, well, there's obviously something here that I don't understand or I'm missing. So that's where I go. And for the listeners out there who have thorns in their paws, I speak from the voice of experience. When you feel yourself getting hurt, and maybe you overreact to it and have a tendency to withdraw, I'd love to invite you not to do that, but to shift yourself into a place of neutral and simply say, well, obviously there's something I don't understand here. And from that perspective, you're transmitting opportunities and possibilities that you wouldn't have if you retreated licking your paw to your cave. So that's where I usually go. That's good, Madeline. I like that. I would love to talk about this some more because I feel like we're having a really good conversation here. We have to move on. So I'd like to thank John mm-hmm. and Hi C and Deb for showing up, being present, being honest, and providing some excellent guidance for our listeners out there. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Have a great one, Mildred. You're welcome. Have a good show. Okay. Bye for now. And everybody stay tuned. Well, that's our roundtable for this week. Many thanks to Mildred Lynn McDonald and participants Deb and John Carousella and Heisey Lutmers. We hope you found this roundtable discussion engaging and thought-provoking. If you would like to join the conversation, visit facebook.com slash fireflywillows and add your comment under this week's roundtable post. Stay tuned. And we're back. This is Mildred Lynn McDonald, and I'm your host for Healing Conversations, live from Sebastopol, California. We hope that you're enjoying the show today, and thank you for joining us. Are you struggling with forgiveness? Is there someone or something in your life that needs to be forgiven so you can move on? Do you know why it's so important to forgive? Come to think of it, do you even know how to forgive? If you're intrigued by this topic and open to shifting painful patterns of judgmental, blaming thoughts, you'll love our conversation with Clifford B. Edwards, author of The Forgiveness Handbook, A Simple Guide to Freedom of the Mind and Heart. As you listen to the show today, you'll soon realize that Cliff has exceptional insights to offer on the process of forgiveness. He's an honest and engaging professional coach, mentor, trainer, and consultant who's been in continuous practice for over 15 years. He's also co-founder of the Ford Institute for Integrative Coaching, where he's helped develop numerous innovative coaching methodologies 
and train over a hundred life coaches worldwide. So, without further ado, let's welcome Cliff to the show and get ready to learn how to release the burden of unresolved emotions from the past and embrace the life-changing freedom that forgiveness offers today. Good morning, Cliff. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Today, I'd love to talk to you about forgiveness and about your new book and the companion workbook that goes with it and wanted to share before we dive in that forgiveness is a topic that I've noticed with people when they hear that there's going to be a show on forgiveness or they hear that there's going to be some advice or some guidance given, almost everybody opens themselves up and comes to the table. So to me, it seems like most people recognize how important forgiveness is. And you are a person that's also identified that and has chosen to devote quite a bit of their time and their energy to navigating through that particular area for the benefit of everybody. So thank you very much, Cliff, for doing this beautiful work. Thank you for that acknowledgement, and I really am glad to hear what you said about how people seem to be opening up and interested in this topic. It's so needed in the world. And what I'd love to ask you now, starting at square one, in your opinion and from your experience, what is forgiveness exactly? Well, before I answer that question, I just want to comment on the roundtable that you had earlier. I so love that we're doing this this interview on forgiveness right after the roundtable on pain, and that pain that is not healed is or transformed is transmitted, because forgiveness is about relieving your personal pain. Forgiveness is about letting go of emotional, mental pain, even spiritual pain, and making peace with the past, making peace with the events even of the, of the present. Forgiveness is letting go of a burden of anger, resentment, blame, shame, negative beliefs, negative self-talk, negative dialogues, anything that you would use to beat up yourself or others, mentally or even physically. One of the analogies I love to use for forgiveness is forgiveness is removing the negative judgments that you have about a person or a situation, or at least an experience. When you're holding on to resentment and anger and blame and such, I like to use the analogy of a corkboard. If you can imagine a corkboard or a bulletin board, Mildred, have you been past an office where there's a bulletin board with all kinds of pins and flyers and photographs and announcements and whatever else hanging off? I have. Of course, almost everybody has, right? So what I like to think about is that a negative judgment is like that push pin that's holding everything else in place. And all the flyers, all the papers, whatever else is dangling from that push pin, it's like the resentments or the blames, you know, the negative emotions. It's like the negative beliefs and thought patterns. And as long as that judgment is there, that was bad. That experience was bad. They shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. As long mm-hmm. as you have the negative judgment about it, then all of the emotion is still attached and will remain with you. You'll drag it around with you, literally drag it around with you everywhere you go, even if you're not consciously aware of it. 
But when you take that judgment and you're able to look at that experience from a different perspective and come to a place of either turning that negative judgment to a neutral or, better yet, to a positive judgment, like, wow, that had some value for me. That experience taught me something. I was able to gain something as a result of that or look what it's driven me to do. When you remove that negative judgment, then everything else falls away and you have forgiven. So forgiveness is the act of releasing all of the negative baggage, emotions, thought patterns, beliefs from the past. Well, I really liked when you said taking those emotions and putting them in neutral or even taking it a step further and putting those emotions in a positive context. Do most people find putting their emotions in neutral easier than making them positive, or do you go to one and then you go to the other? Yeah, and I want to just make a slight correction in the way that you asked that question. It's not the emotions that we're taking to neutral. It's the judgment. Ah, it's our okay. judgment, the way that we see and think about a particular event or experience. If we think about an experience as having been bad or wrong, if we have a negative judgment about that experience, then there's some resistance to it. In your roundtable, you were talking, somebody was mentioning, like, the defensiveness about pain. Yes, John. Mm-hmm. John, mm-hmm. okay. That resistance is what causes defensiveness. It's resistance. It shouldn't have been that way. That was wrong. That was bad. There's a belief that says that, and then a judgment that says that was bad. And so the key, again, is to take that negative judgment and to shift the judgment itself to a neutral or to a positive. And to do that, our teacher and friend at the Ford Institute for uh, Integrative Coaching, Debbie Ford, used to say that transformation simply happens through a shift in perspective. By changing our own perspective about an event, we can shift the judgment from a negative to a neutral or a positive. And then when you shift the judgment, it's like pulling out the pushpin and all the negative emotions, all the painful emotions, all those other beliefs and thoughts just drop away naturally. They fall away. That makes so much sense. So for our listeners out there, the key focus point is the judgment. And then from that point, the emotion resolves itself once you shift to that belief. Right, because there's nothing to hold it in place. One of the things that's become so clear to me in working with forgiveness and actually almost everything else in coaching recently is how you think is how you feel. Okay, Mildred, just imagine a time when you were upset or angry and something was going on, you had negative judgments about something. How did you feel? I didn't feel good. I felt I was held hostage by that particular event. Okay, yes, yes. And think about the thoughts that you might have had around it. You're carrying around, carrying thoughts. What were your internal dialogues? What kinds of things would you say to yourself about that? I wish it would just go away. <laughs> I wish it would go away. Were there thoughts like that was wrong or that was bad or how could I have been so stupid or that's blankety-blank so-and-so? Yeah, probably all of the above. Check, check, check. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so when you're thinking like that, it naturally makes you feel bad. 
when you're thinking negative thoughts about something or someone, when you're thinking judgmental thoughts, when you're thinking angry thoughts about it, then naturally you're going to feel bad. Our emotions respond to our thoughts. But now when you think positive thoughts or when you think empowering thoughts, then how does your body feel? How do you feel? Relief. I'm alive. I feel lighter. Right. So again, our thinking influences our emotions. How we think determines how we feel. And so the only reason that you're carrying around pain and emotion from events of the past is that you're still carrying some negative judgment, which is locking them in place. If you can shift the way that you think about that event, let me give an example. There's a... a several examples in my book, but uh, I'll use this one. This is a self-forgiveness example. Many years ago, I had a business, and uh, I was doing litigation support services and computerized document management for big corporations down here in the San Diego area. And that business was doing really well for a few years. But after a few years in that business, I really didn't enjoy it anymore. And I began to let it slide, and I didn't go out and try to get clients. And just through my own inaction, the business began to fail. It began to spiral slowly down <laughs> until it basically crashed. Just before the business failed completely, I hired a coach. And I began to do some work with this business coach, and I recognized that in working with him that, wow, I like this. This is very cool. I could do this. I could be a coach. I could be a business coach. I could be a life coach. I could be in this industry. And so I made a transition into that new industry. I began to take training as a coach, and I began to work with clients, and it was really, really satisfying to me. But you know, Mildred, I held on to this real negative belief and thought that I'd failed. I was a failure, that it was wrong, that I had let the business fail, that I shouldn't have done that, that I could have worked harder, I could have tried harder, whatever else. And I carried all that failure and that negative self-talk and the shame, the self-blame. I carried that around and made myself miserable. All I'd Mm -hmm. have to do is have something come up that would remind me of that business. And any mood, you know, if I was in a good mood, I'd instantly get into a kind of a shameful, sulky mood. Oh, you know, I'm a failure. Why would I do that? But then one day I realized that if I hadn't failed in that business, I wouldn't ever have gotten into the business of coaching. I wouldn't ever have been able to do something that I really love. I wouldn't have ever met you. I wouldn't have ever helped to train those thousand coaches. I wouldn't have worked with all the clients that I love to work, and I certainly wouldn't have written this book. So I had to fail at that business in order for my life to open up in completely new ways. I realized it was actually a gift that I had failed. And so when I made that shift in perception, when I was able to step out of the perspective that that was bad or wrong, <laughs> that I'd failed in that business, and see it in a completely new way, all of the shame, all the self-blame, and the regret, the remorse, all of that stuff instantly fell away because there was no longer the negative judgment to hold it in place. So what happened there is I shifted that negative to a positive simply by being able to see it and interpret it in a different way. Did you feel lighter? Did you feel... Oh, what was it? absolutely, yeah. I released a 
huge burden. As I mentioned, every time I would think about that failed business, my energy levels would drop. You know, I'd go from feeling happy to feeling shameful or regretful or, you know, having that little internal dialogue going on in my brain like, oh, God, you know, I rah, 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 <laughs> that kind of thing. And I would be heavy, and I'd just feel bad. As soon as I was able to see it from that new perspective and realize that failure was a gift from the universe, I felt light. All that stuff, all that negativity, all that weight, all the burden I'd been dragging around for six, seven, eight years, whatever it was, just dropped away, and I was free of it. I was free. The herd is very real. What's the benefit to you of doing that if someone's really, really hurt you deeply? Hmm, Okay. I want to address it in two ways here. The first thing is, why should you forgive somebody who's hurt you? Mm -hmm. First, you forgive for yourself. You don't forgive for the other person. You forgive to, as I was just describing, to set yourself free from having to drag around that baggage, all that stuff from the past any longer. You forgive so that you can move on in your life. We forgive so that we can set ourselves free. We forgive for ourselves first. And I wrote this book, Mildred, to address so many of the misconceptions that people have about forgiveness. The first one is, you know, what is forgiveness? We just talked about that. What is forgiveness? And now why should you forgive? One of the misconceptions is that we forgive for the other person. But I completely disagree with that. We forgive for ourselves first. Now, when we forgive, other people in our lives will benefit. And that's great. But ultimately, you need to be aware that when you forgive, you're doing it as a gift to yourself. You're doing it to set yourself free. You're doing it to free up your own energy and your self-expression and your creativity so that you can have more of the joy and the love and the peace and whatever else it is that you want in life. When you are holding on to non-forgiveness, when you're holding on to resentment or blame or anger or shame, it dampens your energy. It gets in the way of that creative force that, that would naturally move through you. It shuts you down it begins to put you in smaller and smaller and smaller boxes because when you're holding on to all that stuff and you start to do something if you get reminded of that pain or you bump up against the anger or you bump up against the resentment then you have to recoil from it It becomes a limitation becomes a self-imposed prison cliff it seems like the gift that keeps on giving it's almost like you're on a merry-go-round You had mentioned earlier that when you had your business situation, it sounded to me like there were different triggers, like it didn't go away, you didn't feel bad, and then that was over with. It had the power to keep coming back, keep coming back like you were on a treadmill of feeling like this was a failure. Yeah, absolutely. But the key here is that it didn't keep coming back. It was with me all the time. Oh, okay. It was with me all the time, but most of the time I managed to have it below the surface shoved down, not really be consciously aware of it, but it was still there. And that's the same with anything that's unforgiven. Anything that's Mm -hmm. unforgiven, you are dragging around with you every moment of every day. It's a constant companion. That pain, that shame, that resentment, that anger, whatever else, is a constant companion. And all it takes is one little reminder. Another quick story. In that Mm -hmm. business, there was an employee who worked for me. And one day... 
He apparently had let some resentments and things build up in his own <laughs> life. And one day he got really, really angry with me and quit. And he made a big scene in front of the other employees. And he blamed me and made me wrong and just totally out of line, especially for a professional situation. And that made me angry. Carried that anger and resentment towards him for years and years because of the way he treated me there. And all it would take is me being out somewhere and seeing somebody that just slightly looked like him, and I'd be set off. You know, all that dirty, you know, so-and-so, how could he have treated me like that, blah, 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 blah. You know, my whole day would be ruined because I'd gotten set off. All that stuff, all that emotion came rushing back up from the place where I buried it or stuffed it down, and it was right in my face. And I was experiencing it all over again until I was finally able to forgive and let go. So, yeah, it's with us all the time. The other thing I wanted to say in addressing the why should we forgive someone who has hurt you is getting back to the way that we think about things. Sure, we can be put in situations. We have experiences in which we suffer hurt. And to be hurt is a natural thing. Whether it's emotional pain, whether it's physical pain, It's natural to be hurt. But you know that old quote, that pain is something that happens, suffering is optional? I have not heard that, but it hits home. Yeah, suffering is something that happens through the way that we think about past experiences. So whether it was a physical pain, whether it was an emotional pain that you experienced, the only way that that pain stays with you is by you dragging it around. The only way that it stays with you is by you continuing to think, again, negatively about it, having the negative judgments about it, making it wrong, and keeping it attached to you. Resisting it, saying it shouldn't have been like that, just keeps it attached to you. And so when I look back at that experience with that employee now, one of the things that helped me to be able to forgive was to recognize that he was showing me my own levels of anger. The only reason that he, or one of the big reasons he had to show up in my space is so angry like that is because I was carrying around a lot of anger. I had a lot of repressed and stuffed anger. He was a perfect mirror for me. And when I was able to see it in that perspective and understand that it was a gift that he was offering me to show me how much anger I had and that needed to be processed through and and healed and resolved, then I no longer had to blame him or make him wrong. Wow. Well, of course he would do that. Of course he would show me that. It makes total sense, but I also know that there's people out there saying, yes, 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 that makes sense. I can relate to that. But if I forgive this person that hurt me, is it not going to condone their actions or let them off the hook somehow? So how do I deal with that? Well, again, you come right back to the what I said a moment ago, is that when you forgive, you're forgiving for yourself first. And then to address the question specifically, no, it doesn't condone their actions. It doesn't make it right. If somebody victimized you, took advantage of you, or betrayed you, forgiving that person doesn't make it right that they did that. It doesn't condone their actions and say, yeah, you know, uh, it was, it's fine that you did that. In fact, it was really okay that you did that, and 
you know, do it to me again. Why not? <laughs> well, that's part of the mindset of that. It's like, mm-hmm. well, it'll condone their actions if I forgive them. No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It lets you move on with your life. It creates peace in your space. It doesn't make it right. I give other examples in the book of how forgiving doesn't condone actions. When uh, another employee, boy, that business was a rich source of stories for me now that I think about it. Another employee that stole from me. And I was able to forgive him. But that didn't condone the fact that he stole from me. And this actually is going to get to another question I know you have in line for me here, but it didn't let him off the hook either because I still, even though I forgave him, was able to you know, file a police report and initiate legal action and get a repayment plan in place from him. So forgiving doesn't condone other people's actions towards you. It lets you move on. It lets you create peace for yourself. Forgiving also doesn't mean that you have to go back to the way things were. You know, a lot of people I've heard have the objection that, well, if I forgive them, it means I have to let them continue to do what they're doing. No. No, you (laughs) don't. In fact, when you forgive, you can actually see situations in a much more clear way. And when you see things in a more clear way, then you can set more clear boundaries. When your mind, when your thoughts, your beliefs aren't clouded with the negative judgments and all that emotion then you can step out of situations and really see what needs to be done in order to take care of yourself and to set healthy boundaries. So the key in all of this, from what I'm hearing, is that the reason you're able to tap into this is because your perspective has changed. So you're seeing things differently. Exactly. You change your perspective on it. How you think about something determines how you feel about it. Does this step about getting rid of the belief or the perception that if you forgive the person, somehow you're condoning them or you're letting them off the hook? In your experience working with people, is that a difficult stage to navigate? Or is this something that comes fairly easily to people? (laughs) Yes, both ways. Okay. It's difficult to navigate for many people, and it comes easy for other people. One of the things mm-hmm. that ties right into that, and I know that uh, you addressed it, or somebody addressed it also in the roundtable, is the whole piece of being a victim. A lot of people like to play victim for whatever reason. It gives them something. Maybe they get attention out of it. Maybe they don't know that they have a choice. If you want to play victim to somebody or something, if you want to continue to be able to blame somebody and make them wrong or blame a situation and make them wrong, then you're never going to be able to forgive. And you're never going to be able to see how you're actually the one that benefits from forgiving. If you're locked in that victim mindset, then you're going to always say, no, I can't forgive. Because if I forgive, it's condoning them. It's making them right. And it's not right that they do it. They, they did me wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm the victim here. Can't you see that? I'm the victim here. They did it to me. <laughs> I can hear you yelling from San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> In order to be able to forgive, you really have to be able and willing to step into responsibility as well. The information that you shared about 
forgiving people and condoning and letting people off the hook, I know that our listeners need a moment or two to absorb that because that's very profound and it's very important. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give them that. We're going to listen to a sweet little song from Cape Breton Island. And then we're going to come back and we'll talk about the responsibility because I'm intrigued by that and I know others are too. Then really looking forward to you taking us through the steps on learning how to forgive. So hold on for a second. Rest your vocal cords. Because <laughs> we've got you in full form when you come back. And we're going to listen to The Creative Island. A rock and a stream. We live in a painting. Island is shaped by what the wind sings. Salt of the earth is the lake at the heart of the island portrayed by the tune played on your heartstrings. How to explain it, to explain it is to feel it. listening to Healing Conversations with host Mildred Lynn McDonald on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at fireflywillows.com. Enjoy the show. And we're back. Are you there, Cliff? I'm here. <laughs> okay. I wanted to share that we're talking with Cliff Edwards, who is the author of The Forgiveness Handbook, A Simple Guide to Freedom of the Mind and Heart. Now, Cliff, you were talking about responsibility. Dive right in there. Oh, okay. Yeah, so to forgive, to really forgive and set yourself free, you need to be willing to take responsibility for the circumstances of your life, but especially for the thoughts, for your thoughts and for your beliefs. Again, coming back to that theme of how you think is how you feel, that a lot of people really haven't grasped the idea that they're in control of their thoughts. But each of us is in control of our thoughts. We have the ability to think about different things. If I were to say, all right, think about a pink elephant, what happens? 
the first thing that comes up probably is an image in your mind of a pink elephant. If I say, what did you do last night? Then immediately your thoughts go to what you did last night. So we do have control over our thoughts. We do have the ability to choose to interrupt particular thought patterns and move to other thought patterns. And so in order to forgive, we need to be willing to take responsibility for the way that we have been thinking about things. Again, take responsibility for the negative judgments that we've made. Take responsibility for the way that we have carried around the anger and the pain and the shame or whatever else it is. Even if somebody else hurt you or did you wrong, you still are responsible for, as I said earlier, suffering from it. Thinking in ways that will continue to have you drag around the pain and the shame and the blame or whatever else it is. Another personal example, as an adolescent, my mother and I saw things very differently. And in her desire to be a really loving mother or to fulfill her motherly responsibility, she would use guilt on me at times. And she would come to me and interact with me in ways that felt really guilt-inducing and shaming to me. And I resisted it. I pushed it away, and it drove a wedge. My thoughts about that, my resistance of it, of her actions, drove a wedge between us that lasted for years. And I went through lots of different personal growth and development kinds of things. And I came to acceptance of my mom that, and my parents. Their beliefs were different than mine. But I still held on to that negative judgment that she shouldn't have done that. It was wrong for her to interact with me in these ways that caused me to feel guilty, although I didn't think of it in those terms. I would say it was wrong of her to guilt me like that, and how could she do that? What kind of mother would do that? Blah, 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 blah. But then... I had to begin to take responsibility for that. I had to begin to take responsibility for my thoughts about her and that I was the one making her wrong. I was the one that was continually blaming her. And I realized that when I projected myself into the future a little bit, that if my mother passed away and I still had that barrier in the relationship with her, I'd feel bad. And so I chose, I had to choose to take responsibility for my thoughts, for my blaming, and also choose that I was going to forgive. And I'm happy to say that I was able to, with another shift in perspective, I was able to completely forgive my mom years before she passed away, fortunately. And I was able to have the last years of her life be a relationship that we both felt good about and that was loving and that was close. Forgiving yourself, forgiving her, forgiving the situation, the net net of that is the created positive energy that created another gift that you were both able to enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. I forgave for myself first because I realized that if I don't forgive, if she dies before you know, this is resolved between us, I'm going to feel bad. And I knew that I didn't want to feel bad like that. Mm-hmm. So I forgave for myself first, but it also allowed both of us to reconnect and it created a beautiful gift for her, as you pointed out. The responsibility place had to come from me choosing to be responsible for my thoughts, for my beliefs about it, for the way that I was perceiving it, and to choose not to play victim to it anymore. Because as long as I was dragging around those thoughts that 
you know, she did it to me. She guilted me. And it was because of her that all these bad things have happened in my life. You know, I was totally playing the victim to her or to that circumstance. And there's no power in being a victim. You know, there's no goodies in being a victim. Now let's go to how to forgive, how to learn to forgive. Is there a formula, something that works? There are a dozen or dozens of formulas, and probably all of them can work for different people in different situations. But, you know, the real key is that you have to choose. It starts with a choice. Forgiveness always starts with a choice, whether it's a conscious choice or an unconscious choice. I prefer to recommend that we make a conscious choice to forgive because that usually gets the ball rolling much more quickly. (laughs) So, yeah, it starts with a choice. There are lots of different things that people can do. You can read many different books on forgiveness or books that include chapters on forgiveness, and some of them will recommend exercises. You know, an exercise we used to do back at the Ford Institute, as you probably remember, is writing forgiveness letters, making forgiveness lists. In that chapter, in the chapter six of my book, I've got several different exercises that I recommend. And then if people are really having a difficult time with it, and there are times, there are events and circumstances in our lives that just have so much emotional charge around them that it does, it can take time to work through them. There are processes that you can go through. I have a 10-week individual coaching process called the Ladder of Forgiveness. And the concept of that is that each of the steps of that process is like stepping up one rung on a ladder and uh, climbing out of the self-excavated hole or pit of anger and shame and blame. There's a few or a couple things, actually. I could spend a lot of time on this right now, and I won't, Mildred, because I know you have other mm-hmm. questions. But one of the things that helps to shift a perspective is to make a list of all the positive things that have come out of the event. So, again, if you want to get rid of or shift a negative judgment to a positive, you need to choose to think about and look from a positive perspective and say, okay, well, as a result of that so-and-so divorcing me, leaving me for another woman or another person many years ago, I now have, what are the positives that came out of that? Well, I have my freedom again. I've been able to develop myself and go back to work and become a professional person, and I've done this and I've done that. You look for the positive things or the ways that you've benefited as a result of a circumstance. Again, too many people get stuck in that victim mentality and looking through the the filters of the victim and only seeing the negatives, only seeing what they lost. But in every situation in life, I'm going to assert that in every situation in life in which you survive and come through it, there's always something that you can extract that can contribute to you or that can allow you to contribute to others. Again, going back to your roundtable, one of the guests was talking about how to heal pain, how to transform pain. And part of that is being able to transform pain, your own pain, the pain of your own experience in a way that can benefit others. Use it to be able to contribute to the larger whole. And so that's another way that you can find something valuable. 
if someone was sitting there, like me, and they really liked the idea of writing a forgiveness letter, do you go, dear self, I forgive? Like, how do you approach a forgiveness letter? Yeah, again, in the book, I've got an outline for a recommended outline for a forgiveness letter. But very simply, what you can do is write it to yourself or somebody else, dear whomever you're addressing it to. And then I recommend that you start out by getting out all the pain or all the negative stuff, just writing that out first. It hurt me so much or I'm still so angry about such and such or it felt so bad when you or I hated it when I did blah, blah, blah. Get all that stuff out first. and You acknowledge the feelings. You acknowledge the emotions. Now, I like to say that emotions are messengers. Emotions always come carrying some kind of message to us. And so we don't want to try to get rid of emotions without first acknowledging what their message or what, their, you know, what they have to offer us. And so you acknowledge the emotion. You can feel the emotions if you want to, but really acknowledging them oftentimes is just good enough and you're not having mm-hmm. to repress them or stuff them down anymore. And then another great way to continue with that letter is to put yourself in the other person's shoes or if you're writing it to somebody else or to put yourself in a little bit different perspective about your own actions, to approach it with some compassion. You know, in doing this research on forgiveness, I've been reading lots and lots of forgiveness stories and one of the themes I've seen come up amongst the people who've really been able to forgive is that they have wanted to understand what was going on for the person that hurt them or that wronged them in some way. Okay, here's a real simple example. I read several stories of war, especially in Africa. You know, there's been some horrendous genocides and actions amongst different tribes there. And I read the story of a woman, and I don't recall her name right now, but... She wanted to confront and meet a man who had killed her family, who had slaughtered her family. And what she wanted to do was not to make him wrong, but really to understand what it was that drove him to do that, what it was that had him feel like that was justified or that you know he could even do something so horrendous. And so what she wanted to do is put herself in that other person's perspective so that she could relate to it and have some compassion for it. Oftentimes when we put ourselves in the other person's shoes, we can see that it's pain that they're suffering, experiences that they've had that have driven them to do the kinds of things that are hurtful or damaging to others. So in writing the forgiveness letter, if you can put yourself in the other person's shoes or look out at the world through their perspective, at least for a little bit, it will give you some compassion and it will help you to um, release that negative judgment again. They're a bad person. That was wrong. They shouldn't have done that because all of a sudden you can understand, wow, there are really extenuating circumstances that drove this person to behave in that way or that you know, this person is in such pain, of course they would be acting out in some way or another because they haven't healed the pain, as you were all talking about earlier. And now that pain is being transmitted out to somebody else. 
I recommend, again, for the letter, then, once you put yourself in the other person's shoes, or at least you've looked at your own life or your own actions through compassionate eyes, then you can begin to, as I mentioned earlier, start to look for some of the gifts and some of the value that's come out of the experience. You know, What have you learned as a result of it? Or how did that experience change you in a way that has been positive for you or led to some positive outcomes? Like I mentioned with the business, if that business mm-hmm. business hadn't failed, you know, I never would have become the coach and the trainer and the author that I am today. That was a really positive outcome. I said, some of you didn't realize that, though. I imagine now as you walk along your path and if something similar happened, let's say business problem phase two, you would have the tools you need and the experience under your belt in terms of forgiveness to be able to navigate it through it differently in a better way for you. Yeah, absolutely. And then once you've mm-hmm. done that, once you've looked at some of the gifts, then you can write, you know, I forgive myself or I forgive the other person. You can actually write the words of forgiveness. I, I forgive you for the specific things. And then if you need to set any boundaries or you need to set any new ways of being with yourself or that person, then you can make some commitments or set some boundaries or make some requests in that letter. And then you just keep writing until you feel complete and you feel at peace with it. Mm -hmm. But if you go through those steps, it's very likely that by the time you're done with those steps, you're going to feel at peace. You often hear the saying, forgive and forget. But I know you have a chapter talking about a person forgiving and not forgetting. So that implies some wisdom, a wisdom takeaway from there. Yeah, what I like to say is you forgive and then you remember in a new way. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There are some things that you can forgive and forget, you know, like the little offenses that happen day to day or the, the minor things that really aren't important. Again, in the book, one of the examples I use is going through the airport and some guy who's on his cell phone rolls over my foot with his uh, big old suitcase. And that hurts. And I have an option there. I can choose to hold on to that hurt and be angry about it and blame that stupid so-and-so and why wasn't he paying attention? Or I can choose to just change my thinking about it and go, oh, that guy was distracted and he must be in a hurry. And to let it go and not have it affect the remainder of my day. And then I can forget that and move on from it. The only reason I remember that story is because shortly after it happened, it happened, I wrote it in the book as an example. Otherwise, I would have completely forgotten that. But Mm -hmm. some of the things that happen in our lives that are bigger, that are more emotional, or that involve people that maybe continue to be in our lives, is that we can't forget because that's really denying reality. It's denying it's denying something that actually happened inside that relationship. But it's reinterpreting. It's forgiving and then remembering in a new way and remembering a way that's that allows you to let go and be free of any anger or resentment. Remembering in a way that doesn't have those negative judgments to it. And remembering in a way that empowers you. You know, if you have a situation where you get, let's see, okay, let's use a really simple example. So I'm uh, working in the kitchen and I uh, put my hand down on the stove 
when the burner's on, the electric burner's on, and I burn my hand. Well, I could forgive myself for doing that, but I don't necessarily want to forget that I did that because if I forget and let it go entirely, I might do it again. And so I want to forgive and remember but extract the value from it. Oh, okay. I know when I put my hand down over here, it's going to hurt me. I don't want to do that. People are going to say, well, that is fine with the hand on the stove. What about things that are too big to forgive, like something that's really huge to a person? Where do you put that? Well, the first thing I'm going to say, of course, is that there's nothing that's too big to forgive. If you think something is too big to forgive, it's just because at some level or another you have an unwillingness to forgive. It's not that it can't be forgiven. It's that you won't forgive it. And that Mm -hmm. negative judgment is still too strong or the pain is still too great or whatever. But I would again come back to the negative judgment. The negative judgment about it is too strong. There's too much charge in that. Things that are really big... They can be forgiven, and as I mentioned before, sometimes it may take a process. It may involve steps. It may take a while to forgive and to completely make peace and let go. But it's worth doing that. It's worth doing that because the bigger a hurt is, the bigger it seems in your mind, the more of your life force and your energy it's sucking from you, the more it has you imprisoned the more you're dragging around with you every day, every moment of every day that's weighing you down and limiting you and holding you back. And so it's always worth forgiving. It's always worth beginning the process, making the decision. I choose to forgive, even if you don't know exactly how you're going to do it. If you, even if you can't see that it would be possible, you can at least start down that path. Because in starting down the path and doing the work, you're going to get there eventually and you're going to continually lighten your load along the way. So the information in your book, Cliff, that would be good, the Forgiveness Handbook, that would be good for someone who had something small and irritating to choose to forgive. And it would also work the same methodology, would also work for people dealing with larger forgiveness issues. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. I wrote this book to dispel the misconceptions about forgiveness, to encourage people to engage in conversations of forgiveness, to start to think differently about it, to understand it in ways that would have them be more willing to make that choice to forgive, and to understand that they really do have the power to forgive. They have the ability to make the choice. A lot of people think, well, I can't forgive that they, again, aren't taking responsibility for themselves or for their feelings or for their thought processes. This book is for anybody. You have the book, and now you have the workbook. The book has exercises at the end of each chapter, and you can use a journal or a notebook, and you can do the exercises. And as you work your way through the book, if you do the exercise, you're also working your way through a process of forgiveness. And I just put together the the workbook so that people would have a dedicated place and you know nice lines and the questions all written out so that it's all there and easy for them to use. Now I wanted to ask you about the relationship between forgiving and apologizing. That's a big one. <laughs> yeah, I love that one. So 
sometimes forgiving and apologizing go hand in hand. For instance, if I know that I need to forgive myself, I may need to apologize to myself. If I know that I have done something to hurt somebody else, I may need to apologize to them first and then ask for forgiveness. Or if somebody comes to me and apologizes, then I can either choose to accept the apology and forgive them or to not forgive them. So when you apologize to somebody, it doesn't obligate them to forgive you. An apology is like forgiveness. An apology is something you do for yourself. I'll use this as an example because it does happen from time to time. I say something stupid, you know, accidentally hurtful to my wife. (laughs) You know, I'm a guy. (laughs) And I realize that. Oh, uh uh-oh, I said the wrong thing. That wasn't funny. It didn't occur to her like I thought it might. And so I need to apologize. And I'll say, hey, honey, look, I'm sorry. That was really a stupid thing to say. I didn't mean it to be hurtful. And so I apologize there to remove the barriers to communication. I apologize to try to do my best to clean up and uh, mend mend the relationship. Then she has the choice of whether to forgive me or not. And once I've apologized, there's no obligation. You know, I can't force it. Well, I apologize. You've got to forgive me now. Forgiveness, again, is a very individual thing. It's a choice that each person makes. But if I apologize, then I'm doing that for myself, and I'm doing what I feel I needed to clean up the relationship, and then the other person gets to choose to forgive or not forgive. Of course, I recommend that you forgive when somebody apologizes, but that's your choice. What I find prevalent in society, at least from my perspective, is some people feel if they apologize, it's a sign of weakness. And so there seems to be a few belief processes around there that aren't really supporting life force energy. So, Cliff, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Mm -hmm. looking forward to your next one. (laughs) Apologizing. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that, Mildred, that a lot of people have that thought about forgiving too well if I forgive it means it's a sign of weakness Mm. if I forgive it means that again I've let them off the hook or I've let them get away with something and I'm weak so oh this is one of my favorites I'm going to hold on to this to make sure that they know that they were wrong I'm going to hold on and I'm going to carry all this judgment and anger and blame and grudge with me so that I am punishing them You know, I love that quote, and it's been used by many people in many different books, so I'm not going to try to attribute it right now. But it's the quote that goes something like this. Holding on to resentment against another is like eating a little bit of poison every day, hoping that the other person will die. So it just comes right back to the the idea that we forgive for ourselves first. Forgiving yourself. How do you do that? Well, ultimately, I think that all forgiveness is self-forgiveness because any time that we've been hurt, that we've been wrong, that something has gone on, we need to be able to forgive ourselves as well for any part that we played or forgive ourselves for having been victimized or taken advantage of, forgive ourselves for not being perfect, forgive ourselves for having held on to resentment and blame for 15 years or 30 years or whatever. So, yeah, it's really important to be able to forgive ourselves. 
You know, another one of the misconceptions is, well, I'll never forgive myself for that. And people think that if they hold on to the grudge and the anger towards themselves, that they're somehow making themselves a better person. Okay, I better not forgive myself because if I forgive myself, again, it's kind of like that. I'm letting myself off the hook. I'm making it okay that I did that, so I've got to punish myself. And I think I think part of that comes from our old Judeo-Christian heritage of that angry, punishing God. And rather than waiting for after death to go to hell, people will put themselves through hell on earth with their own thoughts yeah, and their own blame and their own anger. Yeah, willingly. <laughs> now I need to flagellate myself, punish myself here because I was wrong, I was bad. You can, again, you can take the lesson, the learnings from the experience, but forgive and move on. Have compassion. Especially for yourself. Because, you know, going back to that old quote from Marianne Williamson about it's not our dark we're afraid of, it's our light. You know, our light is really needed in the world. And when we're holding on to anger or judgment or resentment or blame towards ourselves, we're diminishing our own light. We're diminishing our ability to be contributive and to make a difference and to give and receive love, to do anything in the world that really makes a difference. So it's so important to give ourselves that level of compassion and forgiveness, to extract the lessons and the wisdom, to integrate the the learnings into our lives and then move on wiser and older and with the ability to be more beneficial as a result. Can you share with our listeners, because we're going to be wrapping up soon, number one, your website, number two, how they can contact you, number three, any programs or online courses that you have on the go? Oh, okay. Well, the first place to go would be theforgivenesshandbook.com, just like the title of the book, theforgivenesshandbook, all one word, dot com. There's a website. It prominently features the beautiful olive branch logo, you know, and graphics of the book on the front page there, and there's information about the book. Also, if you go there, if your listeners go there, I've got a special offer. I like to do this when I make appearances like this. If you buy the book through Amazon, either as a Kindle or a print version, then if you send in the receipt, I will send you a free download of the workbook. So, if people will go to theforgivenesshandbook.com slash book offer, all one word again, book offer, it will tell them exactly how to do that. They can see what the workbook looks like there on the website. They can uh, find out exactly how to get the free workbook. Because I really would like people to not only read the book and get the benefit of those new perspectives and to engage themselves in the conversation of forgiveness, but I'd like to encourage All of you, I'll speak directly to you. I'd like to encourage you to do the exercises. Take a little time. Do the work at the end of each chapter because I know, I know that you'll get more freedom. You'll get more joy. You'll get more lightheartedness. You'll get more ability to be creative and self-expressive out of doing it. Whatever you want in your life that you're not experiencing, forgiveness can help you get more of it. You know, one of the questions we didn't touch upon here, Mildred, is that how do I know if I have something to forgive? And in the very in the preface of the book, there's a, like a list of 14 different ways that you know you have something to forgive. And can you read a few with them, Cliff? Sure, sure. 
If you're holding on to any degree of regret, remorse, sorrow, guilt, or shame about your actions, decisions, or circumstances, then you've got something to forgive. If there are people in your life who you hate or strongly dislike or feel any kind of animosity toward, you've got something to forgive. If you feel superior to or better than some other person or group of people, you've got something to forgive. If you find yourself needing to be right and defend your opinions at all costs, or if you find yourself being argumentative, dismissing, or resistant, you've got something to forgive. If you lack self-confidence or feel inherently shameful, you've got something to forgive. If you feel suspicious of people's motives or can't trust others at all, you've got something to forgive. If you habitually put the wants, needs, and desires of others ahead of your own, you've got something to forgive. And there's more. But does that give you just a little idea of what we're talking about? Yeah, that's excellent. That's really good. And I know people can simply reflect on those areas, and then they'll be able to identify with them, and then they can take it from there. I also wanted to ask you the olive branch. When you designed your book, why did you choose that motif? Actually, the graphic designer chose that for me, and this is a woman, Elise Reed. She's a professional graphic designer and a former student of mine and wanted to work on the book with me. And, you know, it was really funny. We went back and forth for two or three weeks with all these different designs about the book, and you know, they all looked okay, but none of them really communicated forgiveness or, or was striking like that. And then one evening... Elise was talking to her brother, who's not a graphic designer, and sharing a little bit about the book and how we'd been struggling to come up with something for it. And he said, huh, well, how about an olive branch? And when she put that together and sent it to me, it was just perfect. It was you know, reaching out, extending the olive branch in many different cultures and religions. The olive branch is a symbol of peace. And when you forgive, you're making peace. You're making peace with yourself. You're making peace with others. And so it just seemed like a very, very appropriate thing. If someone wanted to work with you in a coaching capacity or a group coaching, do you offer anything like that at this point on forgiveness? Yeah, I do. In fact, I want to mention a couple of things. I'm doing okay. a series of forgiveness calls, just open calls for anybody to show up on and hear about forgiveness, ask questions about forgiveness, share experiences about forgiveness. And again, if you go to the forgivenesshandbook.com and you click on the call series link, it will give you the details on that. If people want to do some individual coaching, if they've got something that feels really big and they want to do some individual work with me, also on that forgivenesshandbook.com, they can go to the contact link and send me a personal message. Happy to have a, a short call and see if it makes sense for us to do some work together. And is there anything else you wanted to add before we sign off? I mentioned it earlier. We need more forgiveness in the world. Look around. Look at all the conflicts that have been waged going on in our world, some of them that are literally thousands of years old. Look at all the people whose lives have been ruined by resentment and anger and blame who are shutting themselves down. Look at the families that have been torn apart through people forgiving, you know, refusing to forgive some minor incident. The children that are suffering with parents, divorced parents who are warring against one another. Now, on and on and on. I could point out so many instances where forgiveness would make things so much more not only tolerable but really peaceful. 
And so I urge you, I, I implore you to engage in conversations of forgiveness with yourself and with others, to make the choice to forgive and to, in doing so, start a ripple, make the world a better place. Eldred, I really, really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. So obviously it's something I care about so much. Cliff, thank you very much. Once more, I'm talking to Cliff Edwards. His book is The Forgiveness Handbook, A Simple Guide to Freedom of the Mind and the Heart. And I would highly encourage everybody to get the book, enjoy the companion workbook, engage with one of Cliff's activities, visit his website, because we are all going to be in a position at one point, if we're not now, to be either forgiving ourselves or forgiving other people. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Cliff, and you have a beautiful day. Thank you. Blessings to you for doing what you're doing, Mildred. Thank you. Join Mildred Lynn McDonald for a fascinating tour of the mind-body-spirit connection. Enjoy nourishing conversations, thought-provoking guests, personal growth tools, compassionate guidance, practical tips, plus a generous sprinkling of East Coast humor and warmth. You'll also love our popular roundtable discussions featuring Deb Carousella, Heisey Lutmers, John Carousella, and Mildred Lynn. Airs the first Sunday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. For more information, please go to HealingConversationsWithMildredLynn.com. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist, with Heisey Lutmers and Charlie Harrington, Tuesday evening at 8 p.m.